Well, good morning to each of you, and greetings in our Master's name. I've stood here, I believe, two times before, but it's been a while. And as I stand before you, when you're around people that you know well, that can, that may or may not be comforting. When you're in a group of total strangers, it may or may not be comforting. And when you're a group of people that you know just a little bit, it may or may not be comforting. <laughs> but I trust that as we look at the scripture this morning and as we fellowship in the Lord that we can be blessed today. What I would have to share this morning, a title for the message is Seven Things the Lord Hates. Maybe you think that's a bit of a, of a strange title, but that comes from Proverbs chapter 6. But in Proverbs 8, wisdom is speaking. And wisdom says this in verse 13 of Proverbs 8. It says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And to start there, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Because if we want to respect and honor God, we have to know what He hates and what He loves. If we want to reverence God, it also, within us, is that desire to be like Him. And that takes us to Proverbs 6, where it gives us a list of things that the Lord hates. I'll be reading most of the verses out of the New King James this morning. Proverbs 6, 16-19. These six things the Lord hates... Yes, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Now this message this morning is for all of us. But you children especially listen up, because these are things that are practical for you too. As we think here about, it says that things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination. What is an abomination? How would you describe something that's abominable? Well... If you've ever reached into a bag of potatoes and you found one that was not firm, it probably had an odor to it that's very akin to being an abomination. A rotten egg, these things, and for some reason potatoes and, and eggs and onions all kind of fall in there. Now there's a lot of other things that, as things rot, they become abominable. They're, they're repulsive. You want to get them away from you, off of you you away from them as quickly as possible. Think about what God is saying. These things are, he wants them far away. He cannot abide them. He cannot stand them. 
And there's a list of seven. Now, there are several of them that are very close together, but we will, we will go down through and look at, at these things that God says he hates. Number one is a proud look. A proud look. What is pride? I think the basic thing about pride is thinking a lot about myself. Thinking that I'm good, I'm the best, or maybe it even is thinking about myself to the point that I think I'm worth nothing. That's still pride. A person, two people can do the exact same thing or the exact opposite, but the exact same thing, and one can be because of pride and one can be out of humility. I had to think of of where we sit in church. Now, to some people, that's a bigger thing than others, but if we see someone sits up front, well, well, they're proud, they're going up front. Or maybe they're too proud to sit up front, so they have to sit in the back. The same attitude can result in, in opposite action. So, the different things we do, we need to, to think, am I doing this because I'm thinking of myself or am I doing what I know God wants me to do? God hates when we, we think that we are better than others. You know, as children, we like to compare ourselves among ourselves just like adults. And when we see others, friends or siblings that, that aren't as good as we are at a game or a project, do we make fun of them? Because that's what pride often does. It wants to put others down and say, ah, they can't do it good. But the right thing to do is to offer to help someone so they can do it better. Think of the other person and how you can make them better or feel better about the situation. I'd like to look at some examples of pride, of proud people in, in the Bible. And the one I'd like to look at first is that of, of Naaman. Naaman was a general in the Old Testament, a general of the Syrian army, and he came to Elisha because a young girl, told him that he could be healed of his leprosy if he would go to the man of God. Now she was thinking about his needs. And he came to where Elisha was in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9. It says, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, Wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious, and he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. There was a man that had, had come on this, this, this uh, information that his wife's servant had given. But when he got there, he was expecting Elisha to come out and, you know, reverence him because he was a great general and, and call on God and there would be a big show. And 
the man, Elisha, didn't even come out. He sent a servant out. Well, that was a strike against, against him. And then he told him to go wash in the Jordan River. I understand that that river tends to be muddier. At that time especially, it was, it was not a, a desirable thing to do. And he says, where I came from, the water's better. Why would I do this? And he went away in a rage. And I think that a lot of that was just pride. He was, he was offended that he wasn't being shown better treatment. Another proud man. And that was Nebuchadnezzar. He was a mighty king. One of the probably the, the most impressive kings that the world had known. He had done a lot of things. He controlled a lot of land and a lot of people. And in Daniel 4.30, this is what he said. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? What is pride? It's thinking about me. And that's evidently where he was at. I did this by my power, for my majesty, my glory. But you know, that statement that he made, right after that, God caused him to, to become like an animal for seven years. And show him that he wasn't as, as mighty as he thought he was. God hates that attitude. God hates pride. Another example, and that is found in Luke 18. Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. Jesus was telling a parable about some men. And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Notice again, they had a focus on themselves. There were people there. And so Jesus told this parable, this story, to help them understand something. He told this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. Where was his focus? Who was he thinking about? Himself. Verse 13 says, The tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Who do you think was pleasing to God? Verse 14 says that Jesus said, I tell you, this man, that tax collector that was humble, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That Pharisee, that proud man bragging to God about how good he was, God didn't hear his prayer. But it says that that, that 
God heard the prayer of the humble man. Pride is an abomination to God. And I think it probably comes a lot closer to us than we think. I saw a sign on a, a church sign some time ago. It said, at the heart of every sin is I. The word sin, S-I-N. And as I think about that, so many of the temptations that come are really pride-based. Something to gratify me, something to lift me up. And that's where almost every sin stems. In fact, isn't that what Satan fell from? Pride. God hates pride. Number two in this list is a lying tongue. Lying. Telling something that is not true. Maybe covering up something that is true. You know, I remember being young, and if I broke a tool or something that I wasn't supposed to be having especially, I didn't want anybody to find out about it because it would make me look bad, right? Pride often results in lying. And we're often tempted to lie when we, we do something bad and we don't want others to find out. But God hates lying. He like, God delights in the truth. An example in Scripture, early on in Genesis, Cain killed his brother Abel. And right after that, God came to Cain and he said, where is Abel your brother? Do you think he knew? Did Cain know what happened? What did he say? I don't know where Abel is. Am I my brother's keeper? What a lie. God knew that he knew and, and Cain knew but he lied anyway, and God, that is something that, that God says he hates. In Genesis, later on in, in chapter 37, Joseph's brothers hated him to the point that they captured him when he came to check on how they were doing, and they sold him as a slave. And then what did they do? They knew that they had done something that was wrong. They took his coat and they killed a, a goat and they dipped his coat in that blood and they took it to their father and they said, we found this. Do you know whose it is? Now, did they tell a lie with that? Well, not really. They didn't say, um, Joseph was killed by a wild animal. But they intended to lie. They didn't do it right out with their words, but what they did was, was acting a lie. Because they showed something that would make their father think something that wasn't true. That's a form of lying. God hates lying. And you know what? Often if you tell one lie, you have to tell another one to cover it up. And it just gets a deeper and deeper hole. We see that 
in another example, and that is, if we go back to 2 Kings where we were, we, were talk, we talked about Naaman and how he came and he was proud. Well, he actually did humble himself then because his, the people that were with him said, Naaman, think about it. If you want to be healed, just do what he said. He did. He humbled himself. He went and washed in Jordan. And then he came back to, to Elisha and he was healed. And reading a number of verses in 2 Kings 5, it says in verse 15 and following, And he returned to the man of God, he and all his servants, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, I know now that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. So here, Naaman was trying to give a gift to Elisha, and he said, We don't need it. I don't want it. I don't want your gift. In verse 19, he said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. But Gehazi, Gehazi was Elisha's servant. And he said, look, he thought, he said, he said it to himself, he said, my master has, has caused Naaman, allowed Naaman to be healed, and he didn't take anything, but as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So he went running after Naaman. Naaman saw him running and he got down and said, is everything okay? Is everything okay? Yes, everything's fine. But Elisha sent me. My master sent me and said, two young men have just come and please give us a, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Was that true? It was a flat out lie because he wanted something. He was thinking of himself and he thought, hmm, I can get some money and maybe some new clothes. And Naaman said, well, not just one talent. You take two. I'm going to give you a bunch here. And he gave, put it into the hands of some men to carry back with Gehazi. They went back toward the city. When they came close to the city, Gehazi took the stuff out of their hands and he hid it. And he went back inside. And he stood before Elisha. And Elisha said, where did you go, Gehazi? Oh, I didn't go anywhere. I was just... I was just outside here. See, he had to tell another lie to cover up the first one. And Elisha said, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. He went out from his presence as white as snow. That was a terrible disease and a terrible punishment that Gehazi received because of his lies. When you're tempted to lie, you think about Gehazi. No, you probably won't get leprosy, but it can lead you on a path that you don't want to go down. As I think about lying and honesty, 
Proverbs 11, 1 says, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord. Another one of these abominations that kind of fits into this. But a just weight is his delight. You know, in, in time past, when people weighed something, they would have used a balance scale. So they put a, a weight over here and a slide with, and then you would hang your thing and, and it would balance. But a dishonest person would have two different weights that they would put on this side, and they weren't the same. And so it was a, a dishonest scales. They would use one when they were buying and one when they were selling something. So they would, they would give the, what they were selling a different weight. And in Amos chapter five, 8, verse 5, it also talks about a dishonest in, in measurement. It says, in Amos 5, 8, verse 5, it says, The people said, When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn? and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of wheat. See, there were men that were waiting. They said, when's, when's the Sabbath going to be over so we can get back to our, our selling, doing business? And we even do it, we make lots of money because we don't, we, we're cheating people. Now, they're not telling everybody this, but they're saying it in their heart again. We're going to cheat people and we're going to make lots of money. Making the ephah small and the shekel great. Now, I have an illustration here. I'm sure many of you saw these buckets and wondered what they're for. So, what is the difference in those buckets? Besides their slightly different hue of blue. One's bigger, than the other. One's bigger than the other. That's right. This one is approximately six gallons and this one's about five. And by the way, my understanding is that an ephah was right about five and a half gallons. Now I looked and, and there's a lot of variation between four and six, but... So if you, if I am the, the merchant, if I'm the one that's, that's buying your grain, you're the farmer and you're going to sell grain to me, which one am I going to give to you to fill up when you're going to give me a, an ephah of grain? I'm going to give you the big one. You've got to fill that full because that's an ephah, right? But then when I go to sell the grain and somebody comes and wants to buy an ephah, I'm going to get out this bucket. That's about the same size, Right? Is that fair? That's what they were doing. They were, they were using one to buy and one to sell. And that's lying. Now, it's one thing to make a profit, but it's another thing to do it and pretend that they're the same size. And that's what they were doing. Deuteronomy 25, 14 says, You shall not have in your house differing measures, a large and a small. Again, not that you couldn't have a cup measure and a quart measure, but if you had a measure, it was to be accurate, and that's the one you used. You may find it interesting, too, as you think about an ephah, and this, this helped me. So in Ruth 2, 17, it said that she went out and gathered and gleaned the grain, and she came back with an ephah. Of barley. So she worked and worked to come back with about that much barley. An ephah is about that big. 
So how we, how we conduct ourselves in many ways can affect this, this lying. You know, cheating is also a form of lying. If we pretend that we figure an answer out when really we copy it from somewhere else, it's lying. God hates it. But you know, God has given each and every one of us something to help keep us from lying. We all have a conscience. And most of you probably know what a conscience is. And if you don't know how to describe it, you know a little bit how it feels. A feeling inside when you know that you've done something you shouldn't. But there's a problem. If you ignore your conscience and you tell the lie anyway, or you cover it up, you don't confess to the wrong you've done, it will be easier to lie next time. And pretty soon you can do more and more and more bad things. And you don't even think about how bad it is. And the Bible talks about being deceived. It's when people don't listen to their conscience. They don't listen to God. And pretty soon they even think that good things are, are bad and the, to do bad things is good. So listen to your conscience. When you're tempted, listen to your conscience. When you've done something wrong, listen to your conscience and confess your wrong. That is pleasing to God. So we continue in this, in this list of things. Number one was that proud look. And number two was that lying tongue. And number three is hands that shed innocent blood. Would you ever kill someone? We would never kill someone. Do you know that Jesus said that if you hate someone, that's like murder? And sometimes we can be very mean to others. Bullying is a term for just being mean to people that you have no reason to be mean to. And that's kind of like hands that shed innocent blood, hurting other people, making fun of people just for fun. God hates this. Number four, it says, a heart that devises wicked plans. Thinking how you can be mean or do a mean trick on someone. Perhaps you can even lie about them and get them in trouble. Tell something that they did that's not true heart that's thinking how to to not be kind and it's the opposite of the golden rule the golden rule as we call it in in Luke 6 31 says as ye would that men should do to you do ye also to them likewise I'd like for us to say that together a couple times and as ye would that men should do to you do ye also to them likewise. Again, and as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. That's the, the essence of, of a heart that's pure. Because do you want others to make fun of you or lie about you? No, 
then don't do it about them. Devise good plans, not wicked plans. And number five is feet that are swift and running to evil. And perhaps, basically, that would mean joining in with somebody else that's doing these, these things. There's times that people come to us and tell us a, something that they heard, something they're going to do, making fun of someone that had a difficulty or problem, and what do we do? Do we, re, do we join in their making fun? Let's not, let's not do that. Number six, a false witness who speaks lies. And I just had one, one thought on this, and that was in, in Matthew, following the resurrection of Jesus, when the keepers, there were a bunch of soldiers standing around the, the tomb, and it says they had fallen down like they were dead because of the angel. And they got up and they went to the, the elders and they gave them a large sum of money and said, the elders told the soldiers, you tell people that his disciples came and stole him away by night. They paid them to be false witnesses, to tell a lie about something that they knew not to be true. God hates this. And that, that has a lot of ramifications in other, other areas is, as someone does something, you're asked, now what happened here? And often our tendency is to do whatever we can to make sure that we stay out of trouble rather than telling the truth. God needs us to tell the truth. And lastly in this list is one who sows discord among brethren. Most of us here come from families. We have to get along with each other. We have to live with each other. Have you ever done something just to make your brother or sister get mad? Have you ever poked fun just to see somebody yell? Not that, not that any teasing is wrong. But teasing to get a rise, to make someone angry, that's sowing discord. And it causes tension and fighting. And God says that He hates that. And there's a, there's a law that I think applies to this because it talks about sowing. Sowing in this, this context is like planting. Doing things that will make something else grow. And Job 4 verse 8 says, Even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. If you plant that kind of discord and tension and doing things to make other people angry and trying to, to stir up trouble, it's going to come back to you. When you plant something, it's going to grow. It says in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. 
Perhaps the way I treated my sister is coming back to bite me. And how my children treat each other. Not necessarily, but God does say that if we, if we do those kind of things, people are going, it's going to come back to hurt us. Let's be careful about stirring up tension and strife. And while children, that may be with you and your brothers and sisters, those of us older ones, it can happen a lot of places in a lot of ways. As we have the opportunity to interact and discuss things, Maybe there's a decision made and we're not happy with it, so we go tell someone how upset we are about it. Maybe they chose the wrong color carpet for this or the wrong color paint for that. And pretty soon we can have a lot of people worked up over something. God hates those that sow discord. These seven things God hates. But we love God. We want to please God. We want God to hear our prayers. In 1 John 3, it says, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. So if we do those things which are pleasing in God's sight, refrain, stay away from these abominable things, keep them away from our lives. When we're... Tempted to be proud and lift up ourselves, think of others. Do what we can to help others. We're tempted to lie, listen to our conscience, tell the truth. Avoid the, avoid the things God hates and you will be blessed and be a blessing to others. Let's have a song.